Hello and welcome back to the From the Start podcast, episode three. Hope you enjoyed episode one with Rusty Furman, episode two with Gary Curtis. If you've not yet checked them out, go back and find them on any podcast provider except iTunes, or some iTunes issues, and uh, the Gary Curtis one is on YouTube. But with episode three today, um, I was looking around and I found this uh, quite remarkable story of a firefighter from West Midlands who climbed into an active volcano and I thought it'd be very remiss of me not to get John on to have a chat about that situation, but also his life uh, as a firefighter. So I welcome to the podcast, uh, John Conway. Oh, so thank, thanks for having me. No, uh, how you doing, mate? How's, uh, how's lockdown, obviously, being at fire service? It's a bit different. Um, yeah, it is a little bit different. Uh, still working, obviously, so it's probably keeping me my own sanity, really, being able to go out. But yeah, just adapting to uh, quarantine life. Yeah, uh, pretty much the same for me. Uh, only difference is my kids are at home all the time and my wife's working from home. But <laughs> yeah, uh, being in the same trade as you, I've still been going to work and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's not been too different. So talking about that then, John, uh, growing up, where did you grow up and where did the uh, fire service idea come from? Um, I grew up in a, a place called Northfield in Birmingham. Um, I, I, it's a bit of a cliche, but I suppose I always wanted to be a firefighter. I always wanted to do something different, push myself and kind of like idealized the position and it, it just looked from the outside it looked uh, a really interesting job to do yeah um obviously you moved a bit further away from home to get into the fire service uh, for those who are not uh, aware of it it's quite difficult to get into the fire service would you agree john uh, it is it took me three attempts to get in and it wasn't it was a little bit away from home so yeah it's so- uh, quite a tough where, where did you find yourself going then, John, to, to get yourself into a fire service? So, uh, yeah, I moved not far far from yourself, a place called Lancashire, uh, up north. Um, originally, I was based at Blackburn and, uh, yeah, moved on from there, stayed there for about seven years, uh, moved to uh, just on the corner of Yorkshire, uh, a place called Baker, uh, near Todmorden, and I was based there for the last three years in Lancs. Yeah, so obviously did your basic training, as it were, in Lancashire. Just for for those who may not know, uh, the casual listener, what, what is fire service basic training like? How did you find it? Um, I was quite fortunate, really, because um, it was residential for most of it. So, But it's uh, it can be quite intense, especially if you've not done anything um, manual labour-wise or to- like hands-on tools. So there's a, a steep learning curve, but... Um, you do anything from carrying hose, hose Tuesdays, you do, uh, you learn all manner of things about pumps and ladders and then you get onto the uh, more intense training of uh, fire behaviour and going into fires and how to respond and search and things like that. Yeah, and again, for those who may not be aware, when it comes to fire behaviour, there's a lot more sort of science behind it than people might really appreciate. I think a lot of people think it's just put the wet stuff on the hot stuff. No, no, def- uh, far from that, yeah. Yeah, a bit more uh, in-depth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, how did you find your time in Lancashire? Did you like it up there? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, but obviously, being based up there, it was uh, further from home that I'd like. Um, I probably only saw my family a handful of times while I was there. So, that's uh, the the end of my career up there is when I decided that I wanted to be closer to home, but I still obviously wanted to do the job that I loved. So... Yeah. that's when I sort of transfer so how did you uh, was it an internal transfer or did you have to go through the recruitment process again or oh uh, unfortunately I had to go through the whole recruitment process and 
I, yeah, I had to jog my memory and make sure I passed all the tests because uh, yeah, I'd have been a bit disappointed in myself if I didn't. Uh, so how did basic training um, fare the second time compared to the first time or did you have to do it? Uh, fortunately, I didn't have to go back to basics. It was um, a development plan where I learned, um, got assessed on the core responsibilities and just did on-the-job training, really, to upskill myself. Yeah, because certainly know my job, we've had people come in who've done three and four years in other brigades and had to come and do the full course again. Um, yeah, yeah, new kit, new, uh, new procedures. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, and again, that's what people might not understand that, like the fire service across the board is, isn't the same. I'll have slightly different procedures, slightly different approach yeah. to things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Even just terminology as well. Um, unfortunately for me, um, they actually called uh, our leggings bunker pants in Lancashire, which turns out is hilarious to everybody else. So when I came on station saying bunker pants and other uh, Lancashire terms, I kind of got ripped for it as well. So yeah, definitely uh, different isms between brigades yeah it's even down to like what they call a fire engine um, like in our brigade they're called pumps in other brigades yeah, they're called yeah. trucks in other brigades yeah, they're yeah. called machines it's absolutely yeah. wild now. Yeah. Uh, no, matter, yeah. no matter who you bump into they've got different names for the same pieces of kit yeah, um, yeah. I mean I don't know what it's like in West Mids but even just different areas of our, our patch they have different names for different things yeah yeah definitely yeah we've got that across across the brigade is um, their own little isms so uh, when you got down into West Mid, then where did you um, where were you based at to start with? Uh, to start with, I was in um, I was in Coventry, uh, but even even that was a little bit further from home that I'd like. So I saw um, a move to the Birmingham City Centre. So I, I wasn't there for very long. So I got straight to probably the busiest station in the West Mids. So how was that then in terms of from Lancashire to City Centre Birmingham? Um, I'll be honest, because I was in Blackburn originally, there's not that many differences. Um, when I moved to the outskirts of Yorkshire, we had a lot more grass fires and animal rescues and things like that. But now, the core, we, I'll get a lot of RTCs, a lot of uh, house fires, really. So, But yeah, the core volume was essentially the same. Yeah, you, you won't think that, obviously, like pretty rural Lancashire to mm. city centre Birmingham. Yeah, You'd expect quite a big, uh, a big um, sort of difference. Um, still, still at Birmingham City Centre now, or are we? Are yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there for three years now, right in the middle. Still uh, really busy. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's actually reduced during COVID because I think people are off the streets, people are at home, uh, probably a bit more alert, I suppose. So. Yeah, definitely. So, um, l- let me take you back to Bali and an incident with an active volcano. So first and foremost, how did the trip to Bali come around? Because I think I read somewhere that it was a, a bucket list type trip. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I'd actually had quite a tough few months at work. Um, we had some pretty um, gruesome incidents. So I decided that I needed to kind of get away with it, get away from it all. So um, yeah, I booked uh, Bali. I always wanted to climb a volcano. So um, it was kind of right time, right place. And decided to book it so how long did you book it for uh, i went for it was roughly about four weeks so i was there for quite a while um all of uh february so i was there, i planned right. to be there for my birthday so uh, how did you find it then Bali? because it's not somewhere i've ever been oh it's it's stunning um the people you meet yeah they're amazing so friendly and kind of like 
yeah, um, so relaxed. Some of the places as well. Like I got to wake up, I went snorkeling, swim with turtles, and yeah, it was brilliant. So let me take you to the uh, volcano incident then. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's always quite funny speaking to sort of fellow firefighters, and I've certainly had sort of situations myself where you just seem to be in the wrong place at the right time, if that makes sense, mm. where I don't know weirdly where it kind of gravitates towards you. Um, so just talk us through that day then of sort of climbing the volcano and then the incident that occurred. Yeah, so um, I signed up for a sunrise trek. So woke up, it was pretty early. It was probably two-ish in the morning. So we got a coach. We, well, no, actually it was a taxi. We uh, got to the base and um, we spent hours, I spent about five hours uh, just walking and climbing different bits to get to the top. Uh, obviously, it was quite humid and sweaty as well at the time. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Like, you could see more stars than I've ever seen. Um, yeah, got to the top, uh, decided I'd have a sit down, have a breather. Um, and then all I could hear was someone screaming uh, just behind me. So uh, a couple of strangers I knew that were on uh, the trip, like we were in a cohort, I kind of threw my bag to them and just said I was, I was going to just see what, if everyone was all right. Um, which I was met with a, a Balinese lady and she was just pointing into the crater. It was quite dark and I'd asked what had happened and she said someone had fallen in. Um, I said I could help. I had some uh, medical training uh, with the fire service and um, she kind of ushered me and tried, like, kind of pushed me towards... Uh, the great like the crater and I, and I was I was just looking thinking how am I going to get down there um, so I've kind of I found like a shallower bit um, I've just started just kind of instincts really um, just started kind of like trying to climb down and it was more of a shuffle <laughs> on my uh, hands and knees it wasn't really uh, elegant and all I was thinking as I was going down was what on earth am I going to do because I was thinking I've not got any trauma kit I've not got anything I've not got a board I've not got there's no one I could look to because as we work as a crew you'll know that literally you kind of some people kind of gravitate towards trauma some people like to cut and some people like to do certain tasks and it was like well I'm on my own um so yes um carried on scuttling down grabbing onto like weeds and bits of tufts of grass as we're going down um and I've noticed there was a few people around her, uh, a lady that would just, like lay down on her back, um, which was kind of a relief until I got there. And it was quite evident that I had no idea what, what they were going to do. Uh, they, were, they were actually trying to move her and drag her, which I told them to kind of leave her and stay put. Um, there was two English speaking uh, guides um, I've asked if there was any an ambulance or an air ambulance on the way, and they said there's nothing like that there. Um, I've managed. I've 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 started to look at the uh, the girl who was lay down, and I got someone to hold her in C spine, so I got someone to hold her head. Uh, we're on a slope, so I had to get someone to to stop me from sliding down. I got them to stand behind me and brace me as I've started. Just looking at her injuries, um, I did a quick top-to-toe survey and like revealed, uh, took off some of her clothes just so I could see what damage she was under. She was completely unconscious at the time. 
uh, where do I start? She had a pretty nasty um, gash uh, to her forehead. Um, she had open fractures to her left leg. Um, look, I, I looked up at the height and it, it, I, I couldn't believe she was still breathing, to be honest. She, like, she must have been 30, 40 metres up. Um, yeah, she'd um, later on I found out she'd broke her back in three places. She broke her ribs. She broke, I think she broke a collarbone. Obviously, her legs were, were broken. Um, so, yeah, literally, I asked what I had, like what they had, and they passed me a, a, some toilet roll and wet wipes. And um, I don't know how, they, but they had medical tape as well. So I started folding up the tissue, packing out all the wounds. I isolated her legs. Um, at that point, she started turning blue. Um, so I've, I've basically got everybody to remove all their jackets, their shirts, and I've kind of put, built her in a cocoon just to keep her warm. Uh, and I kept checking on her, her wounds. Her leg kept bleeding through, so we ended up ripping up a T-shirt and binding that. Uh, at that point, uh, the biggest... Uh, a nurse came down and she'd said like she had medical training and the relief that I felt at that point yeah. was, oh, it was unbelievable. Um, I kind of gave her a bit of a handover, said what I'd found, said what, said what I'd done. Uh, I said that we need to start looking at moving her because um, there was no one coming to us. Um, looking at where we had to like carry her, um, some, uh, somehow um, someone had bought a longboard it was a pretty ropey looking one. There was no straps or anything. So I basically got log rolled onto it, but I've um, obviously got the nurse to get take C-spine and we all kind of, I told everybody what I wanted doing to keep her isolated and managed to get her on the board. I bound her with uh, my hoodie and everything else, T-shirts and things. Um, and then I've basically talked to everybody to how to carry her as uh in line and neutral as possible really and um that's when we started um took about an hour to get out of the crater itself just to the top and to do that we've literally had to drag each other there was ended up about 30 of us in total and um we've linked arms and we've literally like dragged each other um to, to see it it was pretty like you kind of like welled up just looking around seeing everybody working um, probably about every 10 minutes, um, I shouted everyone to stop and the nurse would literally do a quick top to toe, check on her, keep talking, keeping her awake. Cause she, she actually regained consciousness and she was talking to us all the way through, which the pain she must've been in must've been phenomenal for her injuries. Cause it took probably about five hours carrying her and, um, yeah, like she didn't, Cry. She didn't say like she didn't moan once at all. Mm. Like she didn't complain about her injury. She didn't complain about any like pain or anything. She just she was she was cracking jokes and things like that. It was um, and she handled it better than I would have. <laughs> so. so did you ever get to the bottom of how she come to fall or she just yeah well or... yeah she, I was talking to one of the guides and um, someone said like she just. Like I think she was changed, putting a jumper on because it was still pitch black at the time. It was quite cold at the top. So, and because it's like volcanic rock, it's quite crumbly. So, like she, apparently she just went too close to the edge, and the floors just kind of crumbled. And 
just went down in there. But uh, it happened, I think, about 10 years ago. And someone's passed, someone, uh, he died, who right. fell off right at the same point. So right. it's quite dangerous up there. So, so you carried it back five hours then, um, back to sort of where you set off from? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much. It was, I mean, all of us, we were like, like, we were so, like, dehydrated. Like, we had passers-by giving us water and... Yeah, we literally just sp- spoke to her all the way through, and like throughout, I kept saying, asking her what my name was, and like we'd had a chat, and I was like, "Where are you from?" And I, I gave her like a little bit of information about me, and just asked her just to make sure she could still remember it. And um, like I'll come on to that after, but yeah, we got to the base um, after like the five hours of carrying her. And they said there was an ambulance waiting for us. And it was just, um, it was like an estate car. There was no paramedics on it. There was just a driver. And he literally pointed at me and the nurse. And he was like, you're coming with us. And so obviously we jumped on the back. And it was it was shocking, the condition inside. It was, the seats weren't bolted down. I had to tie her down. Um, it had oxygen in there. And then, so we gave her oxygen. And then it ran out within 10 minutes. Um, we ran out of fuel on the way, so we had to stop. It was a two-hour drive. It was, um, it, yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> did, did you, did you at any point when all this was happening, just think, is this a test? Is this some sort of like <laughs> some sort of test? Me, I, like, I could we, me and the nurse, we kept looking at each other, just shake, like you couldn't say any, you couldn't muster the words to just say like what was happening. It was unbelievable. It was, so then two hours later, you land at the hospital. That, uh, what happens then? Um, well, we kind of uh, got her onto um, a bed. Um, we started, we, I asked for some scissors for the, from the doctors because we were cutting away like some of her, uh, her clothing. And um, I left her shoes on as well just to keep everything in like, because I didn't really want to manipulate her leg with them being open fractures. So I've asked for some scissors to cut away. They've bought, they brought out some sewing scissors. Um, I've, I've said I've said what's happened about isolating a leg. They brought out a plank of wood to use as a splint. Nothing else. It was <laughs> so like it, it was like it was. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> so, um, did it not transpire that she was from a similar area to you? Yeah, she's yeah she's from. Uh, it must be about half an hour away, which is mental. It was. Yeah. So you you obviously deliver her to hospital, like fend off the plank of wood and some sewing scissors. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what happened to you then? Obviously, you're then two hours away. You and this nurse, like, how did you so um, how did, how did the rest of your holiday sort of unfold? Well, then I realised that I'd actually thrown my bag, my wallet, and all my belongings I'd left on the volcano. So uh, luckily, the nurse um, she uh, paid for a taxi and she bought me a beer when we got back to it's a place called Ubud, um, um, where my hostel was. Um, and luckily someone had brought back my bag and left it in my hostel. So, but yeah, I literally, we just sat, it must've been in silence just with a beer. just think, just trying to like, con- like work out what had just happened and process it all really. So, yeah. And uh, again, for anybody listening, there is a lot of that in the fire service where you have traumatic incidents and stuff. And there's a, a bit of, sort of afterthought where some people just sort of take it in and then you have a bit of a chat about it and stuff like that. It's a kind of a, a coping mechanism. Um, 
certainly from my experience, uh, my time at fire service. Uh, is, did you kind of have a chat with the nurse and stuff after? And yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we kind of just talked about everything we'd done, and we both agreed that we physically and that we could not have done any more for her. And I mean, it was probably especially when she was turning blue. We were just relieved that she was still alive when we got her to hospital. Really, it was. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, touch and go. Yeah, what one hell of an effort though. I mean, what like seven hours longer, eight hours in total to rescue her and get her to hospital. Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, I, I think everyone there. They'd like. I mean, not just myself, but like all the like those people just giving us shirts off their backs and drag like helping drag her. It was and and the nurse as well. It was unbelievable what they'd been through and the effort they put in. So. Um, before we get on to what happened to you after, what happened to, to the casualty then? Did she make a full recovery? Or? Um, I, I know she's had some uh, issues walking, but she is actually walking, which is unbelievable with her injuries. Mm. It's like, so yeah, she's on her feet. Uh, I know she had a brace for quite some time. Um, yeah, I know she's uh, been on holiday and she's actually went tra- uh, trekking as well. So just the fact that she's walking is me- like, it's mental. So Yeah, absolutely. Um, it went a bit global, this story, didn't it? It landed in some press and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's um, it's a bit unbelievable, really, because um, on the build-up to me going to Bali, um, we'd actually went... Um, I mentioned a couple of incidents that we went to in like, the fire service. Um, well, we, we, we went to... Uh, this is similar. It's another once-in-a-lifetime thing, but... Um, me and uh, the crew I'm with, we got mobilised to an RTC in the middle of the night about one in the morning. So um, we turned up and um, we just thought it was a, a car that went into a roadside barrier. Um, as we got closer and started stabilising the car, it was evident it was a bit more than that. He had um, a bar and it was straight through, went straight through the car, through his chest and out of his back, right in the centre. Um, so he, he was in an equally... Um, bad way um we'd literally gutted and stripped the car back to the bare minimum uh we've cut away all the seats and cut the bar off um and obviously got him on to a board and that um but at the time as well we um, we noticed that we're surrounded by i'm cutting it short a little bit but um he was surrounded by roses and he was on his way to propose to his uh, girlfriend at the time and then so, so, yeah, we got him on a board, um, sent him away. And then two weeks later, he's walked into the station with a bar in, a, in his in a bag and he invited us to his wedding. So, <laughs> That's absolutely so, wild. I know, I know. So, and like it, the, the bar, I mean, I saw it come out. It, was, um, it took his part of his liver, his lung, some of his stomach. And so the fact that he's walked onto, into the station is just, crazy and this this was only a few weeks before i went to bali as well so it was but um, that's that's crackers yeah but uh, from that um we got nominated for a pride of britain award so that happened so that was in the press and then obviously when i landed um my boss had sent out a tweet about this so then obviously as you said uh press kind of caught hold of that and it was it was it was mental for about six months. I just kept like getting calls and yeah. What what was that like? Because like 
I've said this before on the podcast I've done around sort of our job. Um, if you're joining our job because you want praise for something you're doing, you're probably getting it all wrong. Um, so, you know, like to get that that praise both for the for the guy with the bar through his chest and for the, yeah. for the, for the volcano. How, how did that feel? Because it can feel a bit uncomfortable sometimes, I think, can't it? Yeah, definitely. Because, I, I mean, I've no shadow of a doubt that there's every firefighter in the UK and nurses, paramedics, police, they would all do the same thing. Like and like as the, like the nurse that was there, like every every person has done this job for a reason to like help people. So it's yeah, it's, you, to get like an award for doing your job is a bit odd. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, you know, <clears throat> I think there's also it, it's good that they want to reward people who do incredible things like that you know it, yeah, it'd, be, yeah. it'd be easy to kind of just i know we'd never do it sort of people in our job but it'd be easy just to you know turn a turn a blind eye and let somebody else oh yeah it. yeah definitely yeah <laughs> it's not a straightforward thing to sort either is it somebody in a volcano no 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 it's a bit out of uh <laughs> it's definitely out of my comfort zone to say the least. yeah so how long did it take for life to return back to normal then you said about six months yeah six months and then um yeah it's yeah, thank you. thankfully it's gone back to normality a little bit. It was, uh, yeah, I made a few bad decisions. A few. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll probably not go into them then on the podcast. No, but, no. Uh, yeah, it went it went back to normal until somebody like me slipped into your DMs on Twitter and was like, yeah, yeah, thank you yeah. for talking to you about it. But, <laughs> but no, I'm definitely glad I did. So what's uh, what's the future for you, John? Anyway, career wise, have, have you got a grand um, plan or just a well, off the back of that, I um, I ended up being a trauma instructor. So, um, so yeah, definitely spurred something. Um, but yeah, I'll be looking at promotion very soon. I think. So I'll be going for my crew commanders. So yeah, good on you. Hopefully, so, high yeah. things. Well, good luck with that, uh, and thanks for your time today, John. It's been a been a pleasure. I know, appreciate it. No, no, it's been fine, mate. Uh, so a big thanks to anybody who's tuned in. Please like, share, subscribe. Um, obviously, check us out on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and. I think that's about everywhere where we are. Um, where can they find you, John, if you want to follow you on Twitter and your adventures as a trauma instructor? Uh, yeah, it's uh, JohnWay85. So there you go. Go find John there. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in, and a big thanks to you, John. Uh, see you soon. Okay. Thank you very much.